Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps blogger, investor, commentator and writer of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia for the last 11 years. Uh, with Graham Neary helping me on most days and occasional help from Roland Head. Uh, we cover about 550 UK small caps, so very, very... Actually, we go well into mid-cap territory as well, with market caps of up to about a billion now, so we're covering a hell of a lot of companies, uh, and we thoroughly enjoy doing it, so long may it continue. I think I'll just do one podcast today. It's Sunday, 13th of August, 2023. Um, the macro podcasts are taking a bit too long to prepare for, and I want to enjoy the weekend, really. And I, I haven't got anything particularly new to say on macro stuff, and you can get macro commentary anywhere anyway. So it's the same sort of thing. I'm worried that the ba- central banks are raising interest rates too much, and that might indu- induce a recession. That's really the, the main thing at the moment, isn't it? Um, although the UK... Q2 GDP data was all right. Um, markets generally, I think, are struggling still. We seem in the last week certainly we've we had that nice little rally in July, didn't we? Which seems to be partially fizzling out. So um, maybe I was being a bit a little little bit over optimistic, thinking we'd started a new bull market. <laughs> I possibly jumped the gun there. So <clears throat> I put my starting pistol away, and I think we'll um, we'll save that for another day. But uh, equally, I think. Certainly for the UK small caps area, the valuations are so compelling now. I'm finding dozens and dozens and dozens of shares that I really want to own, taking a one or two year view. So I remain really bullish on good quality, uh, very cheap small caps that are performing well. I think with a one or two to two year view, we should make lots of money from here. I've seen it before, uh, you know, the despondency you get in bear markets really they just the the bargain bargains are just lined up on a plate for you and yes there'll be a profit warning from the odd one but my you know portfolio approach means that doesn't matter my personal watch list for 2023 that i published in in detail in january uh is 32 shares in total of of two lists they're up eight percent year to date which for a a list of 32 stocks, I think that's very good. It's well ahead of the market. And I think I've absorbed about four or five profit warnings within that, um, which is quite surprising. Well, it's not surprising. I knew there would be profit warnings. I just didn't know which companies. But um, that's been more than offset by strong performances from many others and two takeover bids. So it just shows, I think, if you if you screen out the absolute junk and just focus on decent uh, businesses that are performing well and that are reasonably priced you can you can still make money even in a even in a bear market so i thought that was quite interesting that's why i remain fully invested because i think we're just getting some tremendous opportunities at the moment if you can look through the short term doom and gloom Right, on to Monday's report. This was the uh, 7th of August, 2023. We had seven companies on our list and we managed to do all of them. So I was quite pleased when they're all ticked off on the list. First one I very much like. This is one of my top shares for this year. Uh, Card Factory, C-A-R-D. I should disclose that I've recently taken a small stake in it myself. Um, so that's one I personally hold. I always disclose whether I hold a share or not, just uh, so that readers are aware if there's any unconscious bias there. I typically buy things to hold for six months to three years, or, well, hold forever if they do well, but um, I'm not really trading um, most of my positions, although I do a little bit of trading for special situations occasionally. Now I've got 
um, a low commission online dealing account. Um, I'm doing more shorter term trades, and they're doing they're doing really well actually. I have to say, I managed to catch tiny builds when that dropped down to about five and a half p, and I um, bought some of those just for a bounce, and it bounced sixty or seventy percent, and I chopped them out, and it, it did very well on one disco as well, buying heavily at the um, when it opened. After the reopened after the 50p placing, and doubled my money on it in, a, in a, again a, a, about a week. So, funnily enough, it's been the those sort of trashy things where I've just bought for a bounce uh, that have done really well this year. And then I've had two big takeover bids for my largest positions in my portfolio that happened twice: Seraphine and BOTP. So put it all together, and I'm having a, fat, a fantastic year in percentage terms. But I still haven't recouped all year, all of last year's actual losses, so I'm not hanging, hanging out the bunting just yet. But anyway, so that's an overview there. Why did I mention that? Oh, sidetracked. Card Factory, C-A-R-D. This is obviously the retailer, as you know, on the high street selling cards. It's vertically integrated, so they make really, really high gross margins because they manufacture the cards themselves. It's doing tremendously well. It put out um, a materially ahead of expectations trading update for H1. Uh, Now, it's a January year end, which is when retailers tend to have the highest cash balances. So they like January year ends. Uh, Now, no broker notes available. This is really annoying. Card factory need to get that sorted. But I've just seen, actually, that Stockopedia has updated the broker consensus figure from 11.4p to 12.4 pence per share so even allowing for the fact that the shares put on a nice spurt they were up 13 percent on monday and that rise held and actually went slightly higher as the week went on so that's a good sign um so the pe is still only 8.2 now some people have questioned the balance sheet but i think they're wrong i did in the past when it was heavily indebted and trading badly but now that it's trading really really well um, the balance sheet doesn't matter so much, and it has a negative working capital cycle, as lots of retailers do, of course, because they don't have receivables. They're selling for cash to the customers. So the only stuff you get in receivables is a few prepayments on things like business rates and um, rents and um, also um, you know, cash in, tra- in transit with the merchant card processors, two or three days of the cash. And that's it. There's no customer receivables to speak of, unless they might be doing a little bit of wholesaling. I think Card Factory does actually, from memory, do a small amount of wholesaling. So it's got a small amount of receivables. But that's why they can re- re- retailers like this can run um, a deficit on current uh, the current ratio comfortably all year round. Now, anyway, its net, net tangible asset value was minus 58 million with the last set of accounts. Um, but note that that improved from minus 101 million the year earlier. So actually what you're seeing at Card Factory is it's rapidly repairing its balance sheet from uh, holding on to reinvesting its own cash flows. And <clears throat> the bank debt is coming down rapidly and it simply isn't a problem anymore because banks like lending to companies that are trading their socks off, which Card Factory is. So I think the balance sheet concerns that I've heard elsewhere are wrong. There's no reason to be concerned about the, the balance sheet um, here at all. And as you know, I am Mr. Balance Sheet. I, re- I focus on that more than anyone, I think. So I'm happy with Card Factories. That's why I bought some. I bought after this um, H1 update saying they're materially ahead of expectations because um, 
you know, it's still cheap even after rising, and I like businesses that, that are outperforming. Next one, another one I really, really like, which I've held for a while now, is Volex, VLX. This makes um, electrical wiring um, assemblies for, for all sorts of industries, which are in growth sectors primarily. For example, the electric vehicle sector, the data centres sector, where they have to replace them with higher spec cables every two or three years, medical instruments that were shut down due to COVID, which is now resuming, and so on. So I think Volex is a very, very good company. Uh, management there, Nat, led by Nat, Nat Rothschild, have done a fantastic job. Now, they just confirmed receipt of competition clearance for a big acquisition in Turkey. This is the second Turkish Turkish acquisition. Um, Companies want to buy, uh, they want to reshore, don't want to buy from extended um, uh, supply chains to the Far East. So Turkey seems to be a very good, fairly low-cost alternative. So anyway, Volex is doing really well. Um, inline or ahead updates so far this year. It's in a really good spot, and I think it's cheap still. So I think Volex shares, I've said here, one of the best GARP shares, growth at reasonable price out there. Um, but it's priced like an ex-growth value share. So I remain bullish on Volex, and I did recently top up my position when um, some, some, some spare cash became available. Now, less positive, unfortunately, would uh, a profit warning from Christie, CTG, um, a mixed collection of businesses um the main part relates to being agent for the sale of pubs hotels those type of things now unfortunately it had previously indicated there were some problems but said it just expected to recoup in h2 and as sometimes is the case h2 weightings turn into profit warnings and i think we've now had two profit warnings from christie and the ceo recently left after a long period so maybe that was a warning sign i don't know but anyway graham the shares were down 24 percent graham's just fairly indifferent on it just saying can't really see any particular reason to take an interest in this and i agree well i don't think there's anything bad about Christie. We just can't really see why it's listed or why you would want to buy the shares. So there we go. Sorry about that, but we're not keen. Graham looked at Clarkson, the shipping um, services group. Interim results were in line. The only thing I want to flag with this one is how it's really just run for the benefit of, mainly run for the benefit of the staff and the directors. Uh, If you look at the colossal amount of... um, uh, accrued bonuses for staff on the balance sheet. My eyes popped out of my head when I first said it. Now, that's disclosed. It's all disclosed in the accounts. It's not hidden. But, um, it, you know, the bonus payments to employees dwarf the dividends. Uh, but, of course, that's all priced in. So, you know, it's up to you whether, you whether you want to invest in something like that. But also, it's had a bonanza from all the disruption to the shipping sector. And it does say that conditions are now gradually going back to normal i don't both graham and i feel we don't really have the sector expertise or knowledge of the cyclicality to be able to comment meaningfully on club uh, well we can comment on it but we can't predict the future so um we're just amber on that both graham and i what else do we have um oh lsl yeah i'm not keen on this sorry it's a Uh, an estate agent that's moved to a franchise model recently Um, now it was a profit warning Uh, the share price only dropped 12% this is LSL um, but the broker reduced calendar 2023 forecast profit by 63% so I don't think that share has fallen enough I think there's too much upside recovery priced into it I'd want it a lot cheaper Um, 
because it's not it's not doing very well now of course you know as we know estate agents are, are going to be struggling at the moment but but the ones that i like are the ones that focus on lettings and that there's three i can think of lsl no sorry that one i'm talking about lsl belvoir um the property franchise group tpfg and uh increasingly foxtons they've uh, really grown the letting side of their business which of course is acyclical um and that means they're proving much more resilient, and then they get the upside from a, when the, when the sales market and the remortgaging market improve as well. So that to me just seems a better business model than LSL. So I'm not keen on LSL. I've put it down as amber red, although the balance sheet's okay. So there's no solvency issues at LSL. I can't say the same. I'm afraid about Superdry SDRY. It wasn't a well. It announced on Monday a, a secondary lending facility. This is in addition to the already. Uh, uh, sort of distressed company borrowings it's got from Bantry Bay. It's now borrowing another 25 million facility from Hilco, who are known for propping up um, problem retailers, mainly, to it seems, to be positioned favourably for when they go bust. Um, that's what's happened in the past, anyway, with Hilco. Um, <clears throat> It's really expensive, interest rate of nearly 16%. It's just yet another sign of financial distress at Superdry. Also, I question whether the money has, whether this Far Eastern IP sale of supposedly $50 million, it doesn't seem to be, have completed. I mean, the company hasn't told the market that it's completed, and as it's a material transaction, I think they would have to. So, and again, it, it's dragged on a long time, and I suspect that deal might fall through. <coughs> all in all, all the signs are there. I'm afraid that equity in Superdry could end up worth nothing. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't touch it. Why get involved? You know, this long-for transformation and turnaround. There's just no sign of it. I think it's just one of those struggling mid-market brands that's not as fashionable as, as it used to be. And um, I think the the founder owner is certainly trying very hard to turn it round, but he's way too bullish in all his um, public commentary. So. I think um, I wouldn't rely on uh, the webinars for this one, although they're always interesting. Then finally on Monday we looked at FIH, which I think stands for Falkland Island Holdings, utterly bizarre little group um, that owns uh, various operations in the Falkland Islands, and also it owns that funny little ferry in Portsmouth Harbour where you get from Gosport to Portsmouth, (laughs) pedestrians only. Um, and an art handling business. Now, all three businesses actually look quite good, so I wouldn't dismiss this one completely, FIH, and very good profits, up 48%. Uh, Main risk is delisting, I think. I can't see why it's listed at 32 million market cap with tightly held shares. So I've concluded here it's absolutely bizarre share, but quite interesting as a special situation, if you don't mind getting into these lobster pot uh, micro-caps. Something interesting might happen eventually, you never know. Oh, I should add lots of really interesting reader comments uh, on Monday. Thanks to everyone who contributed. We had some some smart people commenting on um, Clarkson's in particular, who clearly know the sector quite well, so that was good. Thanks for all your contributions. I just haven't got time to mention them individually anymore in the podcast. They go on too long. Right, on to Tuesday the 8th of August. Now, we only looked at three companies this day, but I do remember I was doing a fair bit of background research on other companies that I reported on the next day. So sometimes we do that. You know, we get invited on to analyst calls and Zooms, which is great, by friendly PR companies. So um, I remember I spent a fair bit of Tuesday looking into Zotfoams, which I reported on the next day. But anyway... 
Uh, Graham looked at H&T. This is the pawnbroking business. It put out inter- interim results. Now, Graham does say here that it um, wasn't really explained specifically in the RNS, but they, they did actually down the broker downgraded expectations for the full year for calendar 2023, which is a bit naughty. Um, lower retail margin, higher operating costs and higher interest costs. Um, but Graham stayed positive on it. And I've just checked the Stockopedia stock report and it's only a very slight reduction in the forecast earnings for this year. And the stock report for H&T does look very appealing. You've got these are the Stockopedia numbers, a forward P of only 6.7 a well-covered in, covered dividend yield of 5.6%. Uh, and, of course, inflation's coming down, and I, I think will fall quite rapidly in the second half of this year because, you know, that's what the Bank of England is telling us is likely. So, you know, locking in a dividend yield of 5.5%, is actually becoming more attractive again, I think, because... Um, and I think fixed interest, if you can lock in fixed interest um, amounts at, at high yields, now's probably the time to do it, isn't it? You've also got a good balance sheet at H&T. The price to tangible book is only 1.3, um, and most of the assets are liquid assets, aren't they? So, yeah, I do think the numbers look attractive on H&T, for sure. Now, the the share I covered on Tuesday, I'm going to make it a mystery share because I've got to hold back something for the Stockopedia subscribers only. I mean, they're paying for me to do this stuff, the uh, to write the reports. Obviously, the podcasts are just something I do for personal interest. Um, so these are sort of semi-independent, but based on, the, obviously, the Stockopedia reports. Um, this particular share uh, put out an inline update and just looks... I think stunningly cheap. So, uh, well, stunningly is probably going a bit too far. I think people are factoring in a downturn which hasn't happened and isn't happening. It seems very good management for this particular mystery share. Now, if you want to see what the mystery shares are, go to Friday's small cap value report where I'll put them. As, I'll add them as a reader comment once I've finished recording the um, this podcast. So that's that one. Let me just write that down. Yeah, okay. Now, Graham looked at SDI. Now, this is another very interesting one. I've been looking at this quite closely this week as well. Uh, I followed the webinar that management did on, I think it was Investor Meet Company. Can't say I was impressed, if I'm honest. Um, Obviously, it's quite subjective when you're listening to management. (sighs) Hmm... I don't know. I don't know. It just all seemed a little bit, dare I say it, amateurish. Um, anyway, final results came out. These were in line. The shares have come off a lot. They're now they've now almost halved from um, the recent highs about a year ago. Now the problem here seems to have been that they've got these. Uh, they had these one-off orders relating to COVID for the attic cameras part of the business. It's an uh, it's an acquisitive vehicle that buys. Uh, digital imaging type uh, micro uh, tiny businesses puts them into a group and you know it was seen as a as a real high flying share but the luster has really come off it now I think for good reason because the figures you know the management as well I think um, I didn't like the way they said they were so surprised at the negative market reaction to the uh, ending of their COVID orders because whilst it's true that they'd flagged this in advance, it should have been built into the forecasts. So the fact that there was a big profit warning means that they were guiding the market incorrectly. So actually, management should be uh, 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 should should be eating some humble pie over this because they didn't 
correctly guide the market, to be more prudently guide the market over those one-off orders. It's all very well saying, saying, oh, you know, they're one-off orders, but you've got to, you've got to build that into your forecast and so that you don't get profit warnings when one-off orders end. So for that reason, and also remember the CEO dumped a huge uh, load of his shares before these problems arose. I remember saying at the time, you know, follow the money. If the guys who know the business best are, uh, are banking a million quid or more from selling their shares personally, I don't want to be buying them. And once again, that has turned out to be the case here. So SDI, I don't think it's actually that cheap at pound twenty-two. I was talking to Graham about it. I think if it got down to about 80p, I'd, I'd have a dabble. But I don't think it deserves a premium premium rating anymore. So, um, you know, I wish them well. And it has been, uh, the, the, the long-term performance of the shares have been has still been absolutely excellent. But, you know, these high-growth companies that are, are put on a premium rating, if they start screwing things up, which SDI has, you know, they can't, management need to take responsibility for that. Um, you know, you're going to get derated and people are going to be sceptical, rightly so, I think. Anyway, Graham's view on SDI overall was amber. Uh, he, d- he does point out the operational cash flow is good. Uh, it's It's got quite a bit of debt at the moment as well. It's made acquisitions. I worry did it overpay for them. Management actually covered this point quite well in the webinar, saying you've got to remember that some of the acquisitions they made inc- did include an element of freehold property. And I thought the CEO did explain quite well the process they go through for uh, how they value acquisitions. So he battered away that point quite well, I think. Um, now, I've just realised I didn't up to d- update the to-do list on Tuesday's report. Sorry about that. I'll go in and edit that. Uh, the ones we didn't get around to looking at were Zopefirms, which I have done since on a subsequent report, and TI Fluid Systems. I saw that was up strongly on the issue of its interim results. I think Graham might have looked at that on Wednesday. Let's move on to Wednesday's report. Right, on to Wednesday, the 9th of August. We've started to make some inroads into the backlog, which is good. So we looked at seven companies on Wednesday. Uh, Graham looked at Hargreave Services, HSP, um, preliminary results, 150 million market cap. Now, this thing used to be the big coal distributor, which has obviously uh, wound down, and it's it seems to have successfully morphed into other engineering services which is pretty impressive i remember meeting the management years ago now um at a nice lunch they threw in london and was really impressed with um the uh, it's an owner manager type situation the the guy running hargreaves services has got quite a big personal stake in it still so you know interests aligned companies like that do tend to work out better i think not always but um i wish we had some data on that actually maybe i'll ask chat gpt and get some waffly vague answer saying on the, on the, on the one hand oh, but on the other hand blah 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 <laughs> So anyway, yeah, uh, Graham likes uh, Hargreaves Services. I do as well, actually. I've looked at it. I think it might have been on one of my watch lists for this year. Can't remember. But yeah, we like it, so it's worth a look. Uh, D4-T4, which sort of vaguely spells out data if you squint your head 45 degrees to the right. D4-T4 Solutions. I've always liked this company. It's always looked promising, but I couldn't go above amber on it. I looked at the AGM trading update and contract win. The contract win was a low margin um, contract with a high element of pass-through revenues on hardware, I believe, that they um, 
slipped from last year into this year. So it was expected. But it's still reassuring, I think, when companies say, oh, a contract's been delayed. And then a few months later, you get the announcement saying, yes, it's come through now. So that's good. I think it strengthens the credibility of management, which is quite good at D4T4. I think they've, um, in the past, I recall, they've had glitches and timing problems with closure of contracts, but they've subsequently come in. So this is another case where that's happened. Gives me confidence. I can trust what they say. They do mention a strong pipeline. It all sounds pretty upbeat, actually. Um, So, yeah, D4T4, have a look at it, see what you think, and let me know in the reader comments. I think maybe there's something potentially interesting there, but it's looked potentially interesting for quite a few years. It's got plenty of cash on the balance sheet, which we like, um, and the product does seem to be credible, selling um, something to do with data analysis to quite large customers. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued by D44, but there's nothing to make me go green on it at the moment, so I'll stay amber. Now, this was a red, unfortunately, RM group, down 30% to 49.5p on a profit warning. Interim results, I think this looks really high risk. Um, I went a little bit over the top with one of my comments on it, so I think the office... Uh, I said to the office maybe they could moderate that. I've got to be careful because, you know, you can't... You want to be... To give your honest opinion on things, and I want to warn people away from things that are dangerous, but sometimes, you know, choosing the right words is is, is difficult um, without making the whole thing so bland that, you know, the, the, the impact of things doesn't come through. But anyway, I think I got the, I got the, the nuances there slightly wrong, so apologies for that. But... Um, this, I think this 30% drop in share price looks fully justified. It's a big profit warning that RM put out. This does educational supplies. Um, I think the balance sheet is really, really problematic. It's very weak. Got a hell of a lot of bank uh, gearing, borrowings, and there's a going concern warning of material uncertainty. You've got to be so careful. I mean, it's very rare for banks to pull the plug on listed companies because it, it's better for them to just wait for it to trade its way out of it and then do a placing. Um, but that in itself is a big risk here. That What if the bank turns around to RM and said, well, we're going to insist on a placing. They have to then go to the city and do it on whatever terms they're offered. And as we've seen recently, that's the, probably the bigger risk than actual insolvency is heavy dilution risk. I just don't know why you'd want to be involved in this, given the risk. Um, you've got to remember the fund managers that are talking the stock up want to find a buyer, <laughs> possibly. Um, whereas we don't have to worry about that. We can sell. Small investors, we've got a massive advantage over small cap fund uh, managers in that if something goes wrong, we can just hit the sell button. You might have to take a haircut on price. That's happened to me recently with one or two things where I've got finally fed up with them and dumped them. You know, I had to take 5 or 6% less than the than the market um, bid price because there's no volume in a lot of these things. But at least I can sell and stop worrying about it. If you're a small caps fund manager, you can't. You're high and dry in something like that. And that's a big problem. It's one of the reasons I'd ask a lot of questions before wanting to invest in small cap funds. The other problem they have is they're obviously, again, for liquidity reasons, drawn towards placings and new issues. Well, as we know, the new issues, a lot of them, were, were absolutely diabolical. People will just suck suck it in. So this, I think, is one of the reasons why, although we have less access to management and we don't have support teams to do our analysis, I think we have such a big advantage as private investors. Anyway, RM Group, 
I think that's really dangerous. So, but I've been told, you know, some people think that some of the parts is is a lot higher than the current market cap. Okay, if it had net cash in the bank, I'd go with that. But it's really highly indebted and it's performing really badly. So, very high risk, I think. RM uh, buyer beware, really, on that one. Finally, an update from PCI PAL, which is the ticker PCIP. I'm amber on this at the moment because uh, I really like the strong organic growth at PCI PAL. It's a niche small software group that, that is generating very nice strong organic growth each year. Still loss making there. Um, but it's got this pe- ongoing patent case. Now, apparently the case was actually held in the UK in June and they're awaiting now the judgment. So if it's a favourable judgment, you could well see a nice spike up in PCI PAL. If it's an unfavourable judgment, it'll probably be fudged in the announcement and it won't be entirely clear that it's not favourable. That's me just being cynical. I don't know. But um, I'm not an expert in patent law, so... I don't really want to take that risk. I'd rather wait to see where where the dust settles and then take a view on the shares. But this sort of thing doesn't tend to do well in bear markets anyway. But they can be uh, beaten down. Growth shares can be good shares in the early, you know, in, in once a new bull market is established. That's why I'm keeping it on the watch list. Cash is tight as well. Right, on to Thursday's report, 10th of August. Not really much happening um, at the moment. News flow was really sort of gradually drying up as the week, week went on. Um, so I might earmark early, early to mid-August for holiday. It might go away somewhere next year. But I don't, I don't like the heat in the med at this time of year. It's just, too, it's just too much. And, of course, you pay more to go away in August, don't you? So that's why I always book holidays for September, October. But, of course, that's the busy time. So, uh, I don't know. We'll have to have a think about that. But what did we look at? Only three companies were of interest, really. Um, Mark's Electrical, I looked at. Now, very good. A strong revenue growth, growth 31%. It's all organic. This is this entrepreneur, owner-managed um, electricals retailer. Think of a mini version of AO, AO.com but better managed, I would say, and better structured uh, on the basis that they just keep everything to uh, run on a shoestring, which is what you've got to do. If you're, in a, if you're shifting other people's gear at minimal markups, you've got to run that. You can't go fancy all about you know, customer service and delighting and surprising the customer. All that sort of stuff's nonsense. You just need to get the gear out as cheaply as you can and make, uh, be competitive on price because people shop around online, don't they? Anyway, I think Marks Electrical's got a lot of scope to continue growing so i do understand the appeal of the share um revenue up 31 percent in the first four months is very good but it, this announcement it, it, it's called a trading statement but it didn't say anything about profits or cash so uh, you know huge gaps in this that made it of very little use because they could be just buying in revenue growth by discounting so we need more information in trading statements please you've got to say are you trading in line with market expectations not board expectations market expectations put a footnote in saying what those expectations are uh, this is what more and more companies are doing it's just best practice so to not do that to leave big gaps in your trading update just raises more questions than answers i think so it's counterproductive anyway it's a low margin highly competitive sector electrical retailing you've got no pricing power whatsoever because you're just shifting other companies gear um so I do like Mark's Electrical, but not at around 99p a share. It's much too high. I'd want I wanted a lot cheaper than that to get me interested. And profits haven't really gone anywhere for about three or four years. So, you know, um, 
Tough sector, very tough sector. Now, Graham looked at S&U, ticket is S-U-S. This is, what's this, a speciality lender, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, oh, that's it, motor finance cu- customers and property. I think this is the one that does the bridge funding for properties. Uh, Graham likes it, I do as well, I've looked at it a couple of times. This is another one that's owner-managed. He says the chairman strikes a cautious and irritated tone. <laughs> That looks quite interesting. I do like uh, I like it where you have quite a dominant chairman or CEO who just uses the RNSs as a, an excuse to have a good old rant about things because they usually make a lot of sense from people who are old hands in the industry and aren't trying to impress anyone. They're just telling it like it is usually. So I might have a look at that. Now, what was the other one? Oh, Graham looked at Jarvis Securities. Uh, now, this was a profit warning, I'm afraid. Only down 15% to £1.25. But <laughs> Graham said here, I remain stubbornly positive on this despite brokers writing down the forecast so um he's he's remained green on that now graham's uh, obviously knows the fund uh, manager sector very well because he's worked in it himself and you know he's made he's made several times the obvious point that um you know in a cyclical downturn arguably that's when when you buy these things isn't it when they're dirt cheap i completely agree um yeah so there we go that was thursday's report Right, I was feeling a bit guilty on Friday because we uh, had quite a few gaps in in the list of things we wanted to cover. Uh, I've still got five left on my list that companies we didn't cover that I do want to look at, which are Robert Walters, TI Fluid System. Oh, no, Graham Graham covered TI Fluid, didn't he? Oh, I've missed a bit. Hang on. Yeah, sorry, I missed a bit on Wednesday's report. I had a look at Bellway, BWY. Now, it's 2.7 billion market cap, so outside our scope. But I often look at the house builders for general macro read across. And I'm worried about them now, I have to say. Bellway um, Bellway's for, said that its forward order book is down 44% versus last year. Now, that's a big number. Um and it says expect a material decrease, quote unquote, in completions for financial year July 2024. Now, the shares barely moved, but I think this is quite worrying. Uh, that's a lot worse than I think a lot of the broker forecasts are factoring in. So I think you might get another leg down in house building shares because the hoped for H2 recovery doesn't seem to be happening. So I think we need to be very careful about house builders. Personally, for now, I'm going to sit on the sidelines because I think we could have another leg down. Anyway, what else did I look at? Oh, um, oh, lookers. Now, they, they just updated on the improved pound thirty offer from Canada, which was up from pound twenty. Now, they've only got 25% acceptances. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to go through. I know I was wary about it last time and suggested I would sell in the market at pound eighteen, which I did on my fantasy portfolio. The bid then seemed to fall through and it dropped to 95p. Um, but then a higher offer of pound thirty came in. So it's anybody's guess what's going to happen here. But again, I feel, why take the risk? You know, we now know that it's going to drop down to probably 95p again if the 130p bid fails. So, again, I think probably it's it's up to you. It's up to everybody what they do with their own money, isn't it? I think there's a good case for just maybe selling some in the market or selling half or selling all of them. Whatever feels most comfortable to you. Um, and the house builders, the whole sector's in play. I've gone a little bit cooler on house build, um Car dealers, sorry, mixing them up. I've gone a little bit cooler on the car dealers because... 
I'm worried about the finance charges coming through for they they have these dealer stocking loans where they borrow money uh, sort of outside of the net debt figures very often in some of them for um, buying the inventories. Well, if you're suddenly going from zero interest rates to five and a half percent interest rates, that could be a material cost. Yes, it should be in the broker forecasts, but sometimes, you know, they don't fully factor these things in, do they? So I've gone a little bit cooler on the car dealers. I've still got some Virtue Motors. Um, but I decided to chop out my tiny position I had in Pendragon. I made about 20% profit on that from buying when uh, Crispin O'Day was a forced seller, uh, which I think I flagged up in these podcasts. So uh, that was a nice little trade. Made uh, made a few, a few hundred quid or something. Right, sorry about that. I've jumped from Wednesday to Friday now. So Friday, I put in a good eight-hour stint doing four companies in really good detail, um, which is what we try to do, but we get obviously pulled from pillar to post so often by many companies reporting each day. So um, I focused in on Zotfoams, ZTF, ZTF, sorry, don't want to go too American. And um, this was interim results. Now, these were from the 8th of August, so a few days earlier. As I say, I I was kindly invited along to the analyst briefing on Zoom, which I listened to. I think there's an Investimeet company webinar I was watching on Friday as well, so I might finish that off. Very interesting company. Um, Record H1 profit. I did pick up a few shares myself, actually, I should say, on Friday, just at a starter size positions in Zotfoams. I wanted them cheaper, really. But I had to pay about £3.75, which, mm, okay, is a bit too much. But I just want to be in the stock with a small position, just in case something exciting happens, which it might do with this resource thing, the recyclable drinks carton, that seems to be at quite an advanced stage of development. And the CEO actually held up one of them in the um, in the webinar pre- presentation, said this is what it looks like, exactly the same as a Tetra Pak type of carton, but fully re- recyclable. Um, so that'll be interesting if that takes off. You know, it could be uh, it could be a big money spinner, but there's no guarantee it will, of course. So anyway, but I, despite that, I'm happy with the company's figures. So, and you should remember that it's absorbing costs of about two or three million a year related to the development project for resource, which we discussed that with the readers. I think, and the reader concerned, both uh, agree that it's perfectly reasonable to strip those costs out of the earnings for how we value the share because, you know, it's discretionary development spend in a very ring-fenced project, which, uh, if it doesn't work, will just be stopped and the profits will go up. If it does work, you know, it could be a a big uh, extra profit generator going forward. So that's the reason I think it's fine to adjust those numbers out, which the company doesn't do itself. And if you do that, you get to a more reasonable PE. I think it drops the PE from about 18-ish, which I thought was a bit too high, down to maybe 15 or 16. Um, There is some debt. I I ran through the balance sheet in a lot of detail. It's pretty much pound for pound offset by freehold property assets. So uh, I'm very happy with the debt. Um, Small deficit, pension deficit isn't particularly material. Uh, very robust overall balance sheet, net tangible asset of 105 million at Zote Foams. Oh, I should have said it's speciality plastics and foams, very lightweight, high performance uh, foams. It, it, it seems to have proprietary technology and expertise and patents. And, you know, it's got good pricing power. So the net profit margin, uh, sorry, profit before tax margin is about 10 or 11%. Uh, it's quite light on overheads as well. 
And uh, I think this is really interesting companies, oat firms. I can't say it's cheap at the moment. Um, but, you know, the market's pricing it where it is because people can see the same things that I can see. Nicely cash generative. Um, although I do think there was um, a bit too much in uh, working capital. So I'd want to see... I'd want to see the working capital um, stop absorbing working capital, basically. I think it's got much higher dividend-paying capacity going forward than it currently pays. So, yeah, yeah, I I like soap firms a lot, but more as a a growth stock than a a value stock. What was the other one I looked at? Oh, CML Microsystems put out a very upbeat-sounding AGM statement. I've gone green on this because um, I don't really understand the business, but the share, it says it, it develops mixed signal RF and microwave, microwave semiconductors for global communications markets. Well, it's only a little UK 70, 67 million market cap company. So it's obviously, and it's nicely profitable every year. So it's obviously got uh, an interesting niche. Um, somebody might come along and buy it, buy it as well. Um, the other very interesting thing about CML is that it's got all this cash and freehold properties. It's got a large uh, campus that it's been trying to get planning permission for. It's freehold. Um, was it somewhere near Hatfield, I think? I can't remember exactly. But it's, it's quite nice. It's out in the countryside. You can look at it on Google Maps and see, oh, yeah, that's a big chunk of land there, um, <coughs> which they've been trying to get planning permission for for 11 years. Finally got planning permission earlier this year. So they're developing some sort of uh, science park or something along those lines. Might be a bit of res- residential as well. I'm not sure. Um, so you've got upside for that in there. And but the market knows about that, so that's not upside on the share price. But the share price peaked at about £5.70 a few months ago. Oh, no, that was early 2023. It's now dropped down to about £4.33. And at that level, I think it's starting to look good. But I did pick up on, I was a little bit out of date on CML, I noticed that they've earmarked a lot of the cash to make an acquisition in America for a very small and slightly loss-making company. So... I think I'd need more clarity from management on why they're buying this U.S. Uh, acquisition for $18 million. They, I mean, you know, they must know what they're doing, so far be it from me to, to, to question them. But I, I'd want reassurance, I think, that this is a good use of the cash. Anyway, I think CML is starting to look tempting, is my conclusion, because it's an interesting company and the valuations come down nicely. Next, I look at Zoo digital z-o-o now this does film and tv localization services so dubbing um and it's had a real boom after many many years of going nowhere uh it's really broken to meaningful profit over the last couple of years seemingly on the back of big spending by tv streaming services in the u.s of course there are a number of them that were spending money like it's gone out of fashion but they're now retrenching and zoo's really blotted its copybook with uh, profit warnings this year shortly after a placing to buy a Japanese thing, which hasn't gone through. And it certainly looks to me as if that was uh, either lucky or something else, um, that they raised all that money just before the profit warnings came out and the share price crashed. So I think there'll be a lot of very, very unhappy people who bought into the uh, £1.60 placing at Zoo Digital... But, you know, I was exp- the figures for March 2023 were fantastic. But the trouble is that's still, that's since been eclipsed by 
the profit warnings saying that, you know, essentially that was a bit of a one-off year boosted by various things that's not, not going to recur. So, um, but I was expecting to to be read on, on Zoo, but I have to say, because it's got this cash pile and it looks like it, it maybe intends hanging on to it rather than doing the Japanese acquisition, that actually you've got quite nice asset backing there. And it's up to you to decide where you think the industry's going. I think it could bounce when the Hollywood strike finishes because, it, you know, it's understandable that's an external factor affecting Zoo. I'm not sure that there's a particularly good business underlying it, but I think you could get a nice bounce in the share price if when the, well, when the Hollywood writers and um, whatever strike is ended. So that could be quite a nice little trade, I think, Zoo Digital. But I personally, it's not something I'd want to hold long term. And I think um, the debate about AI is quite interesting as well. And, and the Zoo um, addresses that in the commentary, which I thought was very interesting. They're saying, yes, AI, you know, text to voice could be used in some say for documentaries or something where you don't really need particular nuance. But in other dubbing of of tv and film it's not up to the standard of having humans do it although i have to say when you watch some of those outtakes shows and you you hear the quality of some uh obviously not done by zoo but other companies uh, attempts at dubbing films i think ai would do a, a, a hell of a good job compared with some of the some of its weaker competitors finally i looked at goodwin this is very interesting i wish i'd bought some of these actually but it was on my 2023 watch list i just never got around to buying any i've had a, a brief look at this i'm aware that i'm not an expert on it and the company doesn't communicate well with the markets it's one of these family controlled things that kind of treats it like a private company that happens to have a listing rather than um, doing what it should be doing, which is being much more transparent. Although I think maybe it's starting to move in that direction. Maybe some of the founders want to get the best price they can for their shares. But it's dipping its toe in with um, some uh, shareholder engagement, I think. A very, very, very interesting family-controlled engineering group, Goodwin is, GDWN. Um, shares have been at the top performer in my 2023 watch list. They're up 42% year to date. Really, really good. Um, what was this? The Yeah, the, the, the preliminary results weren't that great, actually. Profit up 10%. Um, and an absolutely inspired decision to fix its interest rates at 1% for 10 years. Why didn't more companies do that? Looking back, it was madness, wasn't it? So well done to the FD there, who made an absolutely inspired decision by the looks of it. Uh, the PE, uh, PE is 22.9 times. That's a lot for an engineering group. But the um, And you can't get any forecasts on it. But, you know, the, the, the narrative, the commentary with Goodwin's accounts, not so much this year, but last year, was peppered with uh, really bullish stuff about these new um, business segments that it's been um, developing products for, in particular uh, nuclear decommissioning, where you've got some uh, massive order intake and, and these things are going to run for many, many years. You know, the trouble is it's not really coming through in the figures yet, but that's the reason, I think, why the share price has been doing so well. Personally, I wouldn't be a buyer at this level. I think it's gone up, it's bounced too much. I mean, it's almost doubled, basically, in the last year. Um, so I think the price is up with events. So I'm personally not going to be buying at this level. But I do agree there are there are, there are positive signs. And thanks to Romboid1, who I know is a, has gone into this in great depth. Um, he's a very impressive investor who I've followed for years, really knows what he's doing. And he goes into companies in great depth. And he's kindly put up... Um, 
some comments here and a spreadsheet on it. I haven't actually read them yet, so I'll have a look at that next. Uh, but I think it's his biggest holding, and, you know, he's obviously called it right so far, and long may it continue. OK, I think that's probably it for the week. So thanks again for all your support and all your uh, intelligent and interesting reader comments. We very much appreciate it, and I uh, hope you're enjoying the weekend. And, yeah, I'll speak to you again in a week. Bye.